Nurses Who Led the Way, 5. The Most Thrilling Thing, Laura Wood Hughes. I want to make people well, too, Laura Wood told her idol, Ike, the family's cowhand. She greatly admired her mother, who was always in demand when any neighbor was sick. Ike looked at her fondly. You will, Doc, you will, he told her. Doc was his name for her always, and she was very proud of it. She did not aim to be a doctor, however. She had her heart set on being a nurse. When Ike had a bad cold in his chest, Laura's mother let her make the mustard plaster to go on it. She nursed the animals there on the Kansas Prairie Farm, and one time she had the thrilling experience of saving a neighbor's fingertip. He was sharpening his scythe when the blade slipped and the fingertip was all but severed. Put it back on, Laura cried, whipping out her new handkerchief to bind it tight. Then she poured turpentine on it, for that was what she had seen her mother do for the family's dog when he had got his foot caught in a mowing machine. The treatment was rough and painful, but it worked. The finger was saved. She had many such adventures while she was still a child. There was the time an old hill woman nearby flipped hot ashes from her pipe into her eyes. Laura's mother, when she heard of it, made a jug of strong, strained tea and sent Laura over to put the burned and inflamed eyes of the old woman covering it with wet tea compresses. Every fifteen minutes for the entire afternoon she changed the wet packs, and by evening she had the satisfaction of seeing the eyes almost normal, with the swelling greatly reduced. When a doctor finally moved into the neighborhood, she impressed him by her reasoning, and he lent her medical books and charts to read. Their stone house in Kansas was comfortable, and when they went into the nearby town for the winter, her father was always busy as a builder. But he had an itchy foot, and so when she was about to enter her teens, they moved to California. It was in the midst of the real estate boom. They were all sure they would make a fortune there. The ranch was sold, the furniture shipped ahead, and the family went on by immigrant train. They lived in a tent house at first, but an unexpected storm came raging out of the Sierra Madre Mountains, and they almost lost everything they owned. For days after, they had moved in with an aunt. The children went back to the place where they had lived, searching for their scattered belongings. They were lucky to be alive. Good luck was not to be with them long, however. They were no sooner settled again when all six of the wood children came down with scarlet fever. Laura was the first one back on her feet, and with the true spirit of devoted nurse, she forgot her own feelings in helping to nurse the others. But even with her help, there was nothing they could do to save the baby. Now they were poor, and the days of struggling began. For most of her life, Laura was to know real struggle. It seems strange now that it should have been so difficult for her to realize her ambition of becoming a nurse. But in the last portion of the 19th century, there were many obstacles to overcome if one lived in California and was poor besides. When Laura had finished high school, she knew that she wanted to do. 
but there seemed no way of doing it. The first nurse's training school had been established in New York and Boston almost twenty years before, but west of Chicago there were few places where a girl could be trained. She had consulted a few doctors concerning her problem, and they had told her she would be wise to go to any hospital which would take her, get training as a practical nurse, and drop all ideas of becoming a registered nurse. But Laura had her other ideas, and she was not one to drop them easily. She wanted to be a trained nurse. She wanted her diploma. But how to get it? When her family left for Montana to help run a sheep ranch, Laura stayed behind in Los Angeles. She married a man whom she had known for some time, and he helped her get work at a hospital. She took a few months' training in City Hospital, and then was sent out as a district nurse to investigate by Associated Charities. There was no pay for her hard work, but plenty of experience, and Laura welcomed experience. Then came a depression. Laura's husband lost his job, and that meant that she could not afford to keep on with her work, no matter how interesting it might be. She gave up her nursing and did piecework in a cannery. While her husband's health failed steadily, to make matters worse, her only child was born at this time and did not live long. When the baby died, Laura's husband, who had always traveled a great deal before he had married, decided to go on a long sea voyage. He died before she could see him again. Laura was restless. She heard of the terrible typhoid epidemic in Honolulu and decided to become an army nurse so that she could go out and nurse the soldiers there. But when she made inquiries, she discovered that the unit of army nurses was not to be sent out for some time, so she went as a civilian nurse, paying her own fare. She found conditions much worse than she had expected. When she got to the hospital, she told Major Wood, later Major General Wood, that she wanted to enlist right away in order to help. There is no enlistment for nurses as yet, he told her. You will have to go in under contract at forty dollars a month and two rations a day. As soon as she had signed the contract, she was assigned to a bungalow which was in charge of a medical student. The moment she entered the door, she was appalled at what she saw, and it smelled. Cots were jammed so close together that there was scarcely room to move. The boys upon the cots were very, very sick. When young Poole, the medical student, learned that she was a nurse and wanted to help, he could hardly believe it. "'How soon can you be ready?' he asked. "'Give me an apron. I'm ready now,' she answered. This was the answer Laura gave to all who needed her during her long career of nursing. She did not wait for arguments to be made or stipulate that she must have things a certain way before she would work. She never asked for anything for herself. She was always ready now. In the weeks that followed, Laura's heart was wrung with pity almost constantly. The suffering of the boys was dreadful, and conditions were unbelievably bad. As one of her patients cried, We're rotting here like rats in an alley. It took time for things to be better. But slowly they were. A group of buildings was finally organized in a new hospital unit called the Buena Vista, and one wonderful day a transport landed 32 trained nurses. 
All the patients who could be moved were transferred to the new unit, but Laura stayed behind with two boys who were dying. She was to stay all night with them, or as long as they lived. With the relief from the strain, she suddenly felt her terrible fatigue. She had been having chills the day before, and now, alone with two dying boys, Laura realized she too had typhoid fever. Fortunately, one of the doctors looked in to see how things were going, and it was then that Laura collapsed. She did not regain consciousness for three weeks. It was a long convalescence, perhaps one of the nicest things about it, aside from the way in which the others spoiled her, was that sometimes her wheelchair was pushed about the grounds of the hospital by one of the boys whom she had nursed. Three months later, she sailed for home, still in a wheelchair. A stay at the nursing home for convalescence in Presidio helped her regain some of her lost strength and then she headed for Montana and her family. The family had a new ranch, an orchard this time, and it was near a town which boasted a hospital with a nurse's training school. Laura's hope for that longed-for diploma rose once more. When she was strong enough, she went back to nursing to earn the money for her tuition. Nurses did not make much money in those days, even the trained ones and Laura, despite her years of nursing in the hospital, with associated charities, private and army nursing, was still not a trained nurse. She remembered how odd she had been when the nurse sent in to help care for her baby sister charged three dollars for two days. She knew now that it took a great deal of nursing, much of it twenty-four hour duty before the dollars mounted. For months she took on all sorts of cases, even when she went on her brief vacations, she seemed to be pursued by accidents and sickness, with which she only could cope, and her outings were seldom as restful as she had hoped they would be, but she continued to gain in strength, and her small hoard of dollars grew, until at last she was able to apply to nursing school for admission. She trained at a big Catholic hospital, and she was made extremely happy by the decision of the hospital board that she need take only a year and a half of training, since her practical experience had been so extensive and varied. One of the friendships which she formed at this hospital began unhappily. Isabel, who was also halfway through her training, felt that Laura had been given preferred treatment, and she was quite unfriendly. She certainly did not dream that when she came down with a bad case of diphtheria, Laura would be the nurse who would volunteer to be quarantined with her. Quarantine means that you have to stay in one place for, I believe, 14 days, something like that, a long time. So they had to be together for a long time. Unfortunately, the county detention hospital was full of cases of smallpox, and so the two girls were sent to a small two-room shack, which was used as a pest house. It was so dirty when they got there that Laura had to keep Isabel out in the carriage while she cleaned the place. There were hardly any furnishings. There was no telephone, of course. A wire ran across the fence to the country farm, and there was a bell on it at the end of it. If Laura wanted anything, she pulled on the wire, 
and someone would come as far as the fence to find out what was needed. There was no running water, and the nearest water was from a hydrant fifty feet away. The quarters were far from luxurious. Isabel was terribly ill. Her fever mounted steadily higher. Laura went on with her scrubbing, trying to make the place as sanitary as possible. It was when she was resting that she saw a man waving down the road towards the little shack, and she got up to warn him away. He only waved a paper in return, and though she cried out to him that this was a pest house and that there was diphtheria here, he came on. When he was close enough to hear, Laura saw that he was very ill. He too had diphtheria, so now she had two patients. There were, however, only two beds, so Laura took a mattress from one of the tents in the county farm people sent her, and she slept on the floor. She had hardly settled herself when a man started to climb in the window. Don't come in here, Laura yelled. This is a pest house. But he swung his leg over the sill and said, That's why I'm here. It was Isabel's brother, Al, and he insisted on staying to help Laura with her two delirious patients. He had had a shot of serum before he came and had found a shack just over the hill in which to camp. He told her he would come in every night to take over so that she could get some rest, and that is exactly what he did until his sister was well again. From the time of her illness, Isabel not only lost all resentment towards Laura, but even became dependent upon her, for she was left with a grave typhoid condition which kept her a semi-invalid. She was some years younger than Laura and called her Ma. Laura, in her turn, felt protective towards this young woman whose life she had saved, and she always tried to keep an eye on her to see that she didn't overdo it. On the night of her graduation from the nursing school, there was a terrible storm. A doctor, whom Laura admired very much, gave them their diplomas and made a little speech. The most thrilling thing in life is struggle. Laura fastened upon those words, for they seemed to be meant especially for her. Surely few women had had such a struggle as she had to reach her goal of being a trained nurse. She received her diploma when she was thirty-one years old, and she sensed that the struggle was not over for her. All her life she would have to work against odds, she knew. Yet she welcomed them, for she was a born fighter, as all good nurses are. There were to be many hard places ahead. Not long after graduation, she was sent up into the Blackfoot Hills to nurse a young man who had typhoid fever. There was an epidemic in the area, and little aid could be counted on from the neighbors. On the isolated ranch, there were only the rancher and his wife and their son, who was so desperately ill. They had lost their other four children, and all their hopes were centered now upon this sick young man. But Eddie did not want to live. He was so sad because the girl he had always loved did not love him and had run away to marry another man. Now Laura knew she would have a real fight on her hands for anyone as sick as he and who was overburdened with an inner despair was a difficult case indeed. 
She nursed him devotedly for more than three months. The boy's parents did everything that they could to help. The doctor advised over the telephone. The forest ranger dropped in to do what he could. A trapper, who had once been a doctor, came to spell her in her fatiguing duty. But everything failed, and the boy died. She had lost this long battle with death, and Laura was exhausted. But she knew that she had put up a good fight, that no one could have done more than she. There were other happier experiences to compensate for these that were not as tragic. One time she was called to a farm to care for a woman who was expecting her third child, and she drove up to the farmhouse just in time to deliver it, without the doctor. That was a thrill that she never forgot, although she said in her book, No Time for Tears, my knee joints felt as though they were mere jelly at the rest of the day. There were amusing experiences, too, and Laura was always able to see the funny side of a situation, even when it was one that others would have found annoying. When she nursed a wealthy woman who didn't have much the matter with her, and the patient decided Laura should do a large hamper of laundry to earn her fee, Laura got the better of her by saying that she would do the laundry if the woman would use the poorly paid laundress as nurse. Then she proceeded to give a lot of complex instructions to the laundress, and the frightened patient changed her mind. For some time now, she had been living in Seattle, where she had bought a house. She had her family with her much of the time, and Isabel too, of course. Isabel's brother had long since gone to Alberta in Canada, where he was homesteading with his friend Jacques, and one of the dreams Laura and Isabella had always had was to visit the boys some day. They had to wait until a railroad had been built, but as soon as it was finished, they were on their way. Al and his partner Jacques had two cabins built above a small spring-fed lake, and the barns had sheds and stables. Laura was right at home. It was pioneering all over again, and she felt as if she were back in her childhood. She had never lost her love of wide vistas, and the Canadian brush appealed to her. Neighbors were few and far between, but there were several get-togethers. The happiest of all was the Christmas party, which was held at the homestead before they left home. Laura and Isabella had invited her friends to make contributions for just such a party, and they brought tree trimmings and gifts for the children and grown-ups, as well as a portable phonograph and records. It was a wonderful party. Many of the children had never seen a tinseled tree or happy gift wrappings. When it was over, those who lived nearby went home, but the others bedded down upon the floor of the cabin on straw and blankets. Laura went back to Seattle and her nursing work after this interlude, and she gave many years of happy service to the ill. She was a charter member of the Nurses Association of Northwest. She never forgot what she had heard on her stormy commencement night. The most thrilling thing in life is struggle. She knew it now, knew what it was to struggle, which had made her childhood so memorable knew that it was the struggle to obtain her nurse's training which had made it so worthwhile. She realized, too, that although sometimes a nurse lost the battle with death, 
It was that struggle to save which mattered, and which was, in the end, a kind of winning. The end. Man, I just want to read all of these people's stories. I didn't even read all of the stories in here, but it just seemed like it just told you a tiny bit of all the things they did. They were so amazing. Some of them, like Francis Cabrini and Marianne Bickerdick, just seemed to be like, you know, we got to get this stuff done. And they would just go from place to place and get everything done. And then you had people like Lillian Wald, who just cared so much about other people and just listened to them, basically, most of the time. Like, she cleaned their houses and everything, and she cleaned their wounds, but sometimes they just needed her to listen. And I find that, like, in our society where we have so many things in America, that sometimes what we're lacking is just somebody to stop and listen to your troubles. Because you'll always have troubles. No matter how much money you have or how many friends you have, you can still feel empty, you know. And sometimes you just need somebody to listen to you and to give you that feeling that you are important, that you matter, that you have a future, and that you're put on this earth for a purpose. And that brings me to my next book, which I'm going to read, which is kind of an adult book, but that's okay, because I'm just going to read two chapters from it, and it's a book that I've read all my life, and it's always helped me through really hard times, and I always find new things in it that I never thought I saw before. It's called True Spouse of Jesus Christ. It's written by St. Alphonsus Liguori, who was an Italian man, and he would go and preach to people. He was a priest, and he would go and priest, preach to people in church. And the mothers of the town wouldn't let their daughters go and listen to him because after they listened to him, they would go out and become nuns and dedicate their lives to helping other people, either by praying or by helping them physically in some way. So I'm going to read two chapters about the love of God, how much he cares for each one of us, because I think girls in general really need to know that God loves them, that they're cherished and beautiful, and that he has a purpose for each one of you. So that's what I'm going to read. You might not understand all the words because it's some old word languages stuff in here, but hey, you might find something that you like about it. So that's what's next. Join me for that.